Please stay. You're just making things worse for yourself. I just got your text. What's this? You're guilt-tripping me into staying, are you? So you were just going to go without saying goodbye to me then? No, sorry, of course not. Look, my train doesn't leave for a couple of hours. Where are you going to go? I'm going to stay with a mate in Plymouth. You remember Joe with a glass eye? I'm going to stay with him. Welcome to episode 135 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that with Peter's repeated attempts to throw Carla out of her dad's pub and Daniel offering Peter a place to stay at number one, it finally seems that everyone is confused about where people live as we are. I'm Gavin. And I'm only halfway here. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to address that or not. Oh. I wasn't sure if we wanted to to mention everything that's going on. Uh, Talk of the Street Towers. <laughs> Talk of the Street Towers. My dad is in the hospital in Florida, and it's been a madcap couple of days just trying to figure out what's going on and whether or not I can go down and what exactly is going on with him. And it's just been a very tough couple of days yep. for us, me especially. Well, yeah, it's been, this was like New Year's Eve when this news kind of dropped in the morning. So it's been yeah. yeah, a couple of days of you phoning lots of people in Florida, getting very strange information from hospitals, getting conflicting information from hospitals, and then trying to find keys and <laughs> paperwork. And so I am after after the podcast, I am off for a rapid test for the COVID, and if that comes back clear, I will be heading into COVIDville, USA. Right. Nothing of any interest ever happens yeah, in Florida. The uh, the mighty state of Florida to try to take care of my dad while not catching the COVID. Mm-hmm. You'll be out of here. Yeah. It's usually me that's out of here. Yeah. Well. We'll, we'll turn feral in your absence, I'm sure. I've, I'm already worried about the laundry. Oh, Stella knows how to do that. Oh, and yeah. Then, fob it off in the girl child. That's... Well, you, you seem to disagree with the way that I do the laundry. <laughs> Even though, if you're not here, it doesn't fucking matter. Well, I also <laughs> disagree with the way you make pasta, so... Right. <laughs> and Yeet wash it. the dishes. Eat it. <laughs> you don't disagree with it that much. Let's just Well, no, I disagree way. with it because it comes out all gluey. But that's all right. It's fine. It's fine. I love you anyway, even though you do things weird. I think I've changed my mind on that <laughs> entirely. <laughs> it's good to laugh. Yeah. So we thought, well, it's Saturday, we might as well, there's nothing else going on until you get this test at two o'clock in the afternoon, so we might as well just do this. Do the podcast. So I'm here, I've watched it all, I've done Corey News, I am a professional. Everyone is heaving a collective sigh of relief that the <laughs> Corey News has been done. <laughs> I'm absolutely sure. So yes, <laughs> if, you, if, if you have a spare thought or prayer for me and my family this week. I would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Corey family. <sighs> this, it was just a shitty end to a shitty year, wasn't it? 
fact we, that it we happened kind of thought we'd got it through 2020 fairly unscathed. Yeah. I mean, we've lost people that we knew and people that we loved outside of our... Immediate family. Yeah. Outside of this house. Like in town and, and, and further afield. Hmm. But as a kind of family unit, despite the fact that we had suspicions of, you know, this is, this potentially could be a really crappy year all round. Mm-hmm. It looked like we were going to make it <laughs> until New Year's Eve and then heart attacks happened and yeah. things. Yes. So The official word so is close. my dad doesn't have COVID. I, I feel like I need to say that. Right. Although yeah. that wasn't the case for a while. Uh, yeah. They thought he had the COVID, but then the rapid test came back negative. So, but his lungs are filled up with fluid because of congestive heart failure and possibly also pneumonia. And there's possibly other things going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not good. It's, it seems to be collecting things. Yes. And he got the last ICU bed in in the hospital. So, small blessings. Otherwise, I'd have to be going to Gainesville. <laughs> I still don't know where that is. It's in Florida. It's where the... Yeah, I figured that much, but in relation to where you're heading, which is the panhandle. Yes. It's... Different time zone, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I haven't called the hospital yet today. I'm sure hospitals are 24-7. Right, yeah, but, you know, doctors make their rounds at certain times. So, for new information and everything. See, I know all these things because I've been in hospitals... A lot over my life, but that's neither here nor there. Let's 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 focus on how was your week, Gav? I've got a new back here. <laughs> I'm quite excited. I have this Zoom Podtrack P8, which I think is making my voice sound a little bit tinnier than, than normal. That's because I fucked about with the bass and treble and I should have just left it alone, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna sound like this for a while. It's fine. You sound good. You sound good. I'm a, I'm a little bit my mids. And my highs are a little bit more present than the than my bottom. You're fine. Bottom. You have a very nice bottom. Well, thank you very much. You are welcome. Oh. <laughs> and you then, flustered over there. As of 8.57pm on Boxing Day night, we discovered that we were the number one trending TV review podcast in Ireland, <laughs> of all things. I worked out how that thing, how this works, because I thought... We're Irish. <laughs> how is... Because I see the numbers, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. really, number one? According to Adam Buxton, who was number 49, and his friend Joe Cornish, Joe Cornish explained it to him. We, we beat Adam Buxton? No, 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 he was in overall. Oh, ever. overall, okay. All right, that's different. Reviews. It's the number of new listeners that you get in a week. Oh. That's what counts it. Interesting. So we got a whole bunch of new listeners in Ireland then. Or we got at least two, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is more likely. Greetings to Ireland. Hello. Land of my forefathers. I'm trying to think if I have any Irish I don't think I do. I think my entire family, going back, like, the six times great-grandfather was within ten miles of the place where I was born. Did you have a wee we bit of... We, we didn't wander far, the brooms. Did you have a wee bit of Viking in you or something? No. Well, I don't know, I was very drunk at the time. <laughs> My memories of that night are yeah. probably best left, now that, left alone. Now that I think about how short your mother was, you, you definitely... My dad wasn't much taller. Yeah, I don't think there were any Vikings. There's probably Vikings in my family. Because the Dutch side of my family are very tall and have the blonde hair and the red beards, so... Blonde hair and red beards? Mm-hmm. 
mix and matching mm-hmm. collars and cuffs yes Eesh. so yeah so this pod track thing it has a little sound bank it has nine sound banks that you can preload with stuff that, that comes preloaded mm-hmm. so I thought before we do our little preamble it might be fun to do a little game of tic-tac-toe for you because it's in a three by three grid so <laughs> if you were to play tic-tac-toe which which square would you go for oh I get to go first Sharm sure. X's nice uh, middle square, please. Middle, middle. Middle, middle. Okay, let me let me hit that button. That's a good Ooh. button. That's a good button. Very I, jazzy. I am going to go uh, top right. Ooh, quite rock and roll. <laughs> yes, very rock and roll. Bottom right, please. This one. Yes, that's that's bottom right. As, as, as I'm looking at it, or you're looking <laughs> at it. As I'm looking at it. Ooh. Oh. Which means I have to go top left. Stephen Colbert. Top middle. Top middle. So I have to go bottom middle. Hmm. (laughs) I think this is what we used to call a cat's game. Yes. Already, but there's three still to go. Yes, because we're we're both quite clever. Well, we're both not five. Um, There's really only one or two places you can put it that makes yeah. sense. Bottom left. That wasn't one of them. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, enough. Wait. Is that applause or is it rain? <laughs> Like it's whatever you want it to be. Alright, well it's a pause then. I'm gonna go middle left, but that's pointless. Ooh. Very sci-fi. Which just leaves middle right. Middle right. No winner. No winner. It's a draw. As it should be. Yeah. Yes. If it's not a draw then As it should be in marriage, it's a draw. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we preamble with you? Yes, please. Give me some of that pre recorded coding news. Mm-hmm. Our hearts go out to Sue Nichols, our Audrey, and her family on the death of her husband, Mark Eden, who died yesterday of Alzheimer's. Long-term Corey fans will remember Mark as Alan Bradley on the show, devious, villainous Alan Bradley. He was a very good body. Broke poor Rita's heart Mm -hmm. and stole her money. Spoiled her for other men. Yes. But not like that. (laughs) A different way. Yes. And I think did more to improve uh, tram safety in Blackpool than any other (laughs) initiative. There's a plaque. There is where he died. Yeah, Chris. Chris. Yes, that one <laughs> took a photograph of it and sent it to us, and then got somebody to lay down on the complex for us. He also played Marco Polo on Doctor Who in like the first season. I knew he was a Doctor Who actor. Yeah. 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 It was. Uh, it was funny because when I was reading the article, I saw the picture of him in Doctor Who, and I was like, William Hartnett was never in Corey. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, so Doctor Who. <laughs> And that mystery was solved. Yes, yes. I did like last night's, I did like the New Year's Day episode of Doctor Who, by the way. You did? Yeah. Yeah, I read very good things about it. I don't like it, but... Well, yeah, you're not a Whovian. No. <laughs> or to put it another way, I don't like Doctor Who. You're not really a science fiction guy at all. You're not a Trekkie. 
you tolerate Star Wars. I used to love Star Wars until they did things to it. <laughs> until Boba Fett became a main character. He's not in it anymore. No. I liked the first three. And by the first three, I mean four, five, six. Yeah. And then after that, you like? Didn't you like Rogue One? Rogue One was good. I'll the one like where everybody that, dies. But I, yeah, but I didn't like the Uncanny Valley... Princess Leia. Princess Leia and somebody else. And the, uh, uh, yeah. Peter Kushner, Christopher yeah. Lee. I can't remember which. It's Peter Kushner. Cushing. Peter Kushner. Kushner? Jared's dad. Oh, no. No. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Back out. No. Push my, push my reversion truck sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's stay away from his dad. Don't Google it. Or if you're going to Google it, you best be out of safe mode. Right. More sad news for Quarry fans, as the longest Coronation Street writer has also passed away. Adele Rose died of pneumonia this past week. She wrote over 400 episodes in her career and was the first female writer on the show. And she was the only female writer for like a couple of decades, apparently. Which is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> right. She also uh, wrote the series that made um, those two guys, whose, whose names are just one syllable, who are on all of those... <laughs> Uh, is this a test? <laughs> reality shows. And Deck and... Ant and Deck. Ant and Deck. So she, she's kind of responsible for their career because she wrote that biker show that they were on. <laughs> this is such a vague... Biker Grove. Yes. Mm-hmm. Biker. Uh, that was my Geordie accent. <laughs> That's all you're getting. You can tell. I, this, is, this is a blind spot for me as far as... <laughs> This is just British a regular episode of Corey News as far as most of us are concerned, I think. <laughs> and uh, finally. And finally, congratulations are in order for t- Sally Diniver, who was made an MBE in the Queen's New Year's Honours list. So yep. congrats to our Sally. Absolutely. I, I'm not really a fan of honours. No, no. Or of the royal family. But then they keep on doing things that I have to approve of, like giving <laughs> Billy Connolly a knighthood. Right. A couple of years ago, was it last year? I can't remember. And then this, it's like you think, yeah, sure, you're you're fine with that. You're, you're kind of against the whole thing, the, the whole practice of making people knights and ladies and OBs and MBs and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But occasionally they do do it to people that you like. Mm-hmm. And then you feel you have to be a little bit hypocritical and, and approve of it. Yeah. Which is what I'm doing right now. And then some people give them back and you love them even more. Yeah, people just, well, they, they just refuse it. Yeah. And they don't go at the palace and then take it off the queen and then go, nah, fuck it, here you go and hand it back to him. Well, uh, what's his name? Just just did that. He had gotten one a few years ago and then give it back this year. Oh, he sent it back? Yeah. Oh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Anton Dick? No. Uh, see, he was in... Um, he was in that thing with David Tennant that you didn't watch that I did because I love it because it was written by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Good omens. Good omens. How do, this is like a, a, a quiz show. <laughs> Helen's going to vaguely describe something. <laughs> I have to guess what it is. My brain is just misfiring so much. I want to say Martin Sheen, but it's not Martin Sheen, obviously. <laughs> but it's somebody, it's, it's a man whose name, whose initials are MS. It's Michael Sheen. Yes. <laughs> Thank I, I would, you. I would, I would suggest that Sheen was the hard bit of that. <laughs> anyway, 
Yeah, and uh, and Zoom yes. Pod, pod <laughs> thing. Yeah, so congratulations to Sally. People. You know, it was not only for her, you know, time on Coronation Street, but it's also for a number of the charitable things that she does in her life. And not at all about the fact that her daughter's show on Netflix is like a huge raging success because it's very, very sexy. And she has lots of the sex on it. With a Sally very, does. very sexy man. No, her her daughter Phoebe. Well, I've got nothing to do with her, has it? Well, she 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 birthed her to be an actress and you know, a pretty lady who looks like her mom a little and gets to have lots and lots of the sex with a sexy, sexy duke on Bridgerton. Go watch it. I binged it. <laughs> I binged it all in one sitting overnight. I started at like eight o'clock at night and went to bed at like 530 in the morning <laughs> because I was like, I cannot stop watching this show. <laughs> I must continue. Uh, so we shut then. No, you won't like it because it's nah. a regency oh, God, romance no. sort of thing but it's very sexy yeah, you, and you fun. lost me a couple of weeks ago when i think you said it was a period of drama like, right yes, yeah I'm probably never going to watch this i did watch the chess thing though did i say that yeah the queen's gambit mm-hmm. yeah i, I haven't that. watched that yet that was good yeah it kind of makes chess out like it's sexy which it isn't well it can be it, no <laughs> it does for chess what and uh, now you see me. Did for magic. Did for magic. It tries to make out that <laughs> street magicians are super Sexy cool people. and everyone loves them. Yeah. It kind of tries That's to do that with chess players. Really not true about street magicians. Hindsight Corner. A blue, 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 blue. I should really have the thing on this to hit it rather than put it in later. Oh, well. Anyway. The BCG that we talked about. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah, you got it wrong. I kind of knew that I got it wrong as soon as I said it. As soon as you said the MMR, I thought, yeah, that's the thing for rubella. Yeah. That's what the R thing is in rubella. Right, that's what, yeah. yeah. The, the BCG is actually for tuberculosis. Fucking TB. I Tuber- went to school in Victorian London. Tuberculosis. Victorian so th- that London. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I never got one. <laughs> right. And now is this. I'm so proud of this thing. It's hitting a button that's not on my phone. That's the only difference. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Ooh. And I'll have to turn it down manually a little bit. Showing how the point? sausage gets made. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the last year tonight. This morning we meet Gavin Broom. Just, no, no. <laughs> I'm John Oliver at this point. Are, are you John Oliver? Just enough time to quickly talk about one-legged prawns. This was Tim's attempt at making balloon animals. Oh. Everything he did was coming out like a one-legged prawn. Ah. I was Gavin, you were poorly. I was sick when we were out on vacation and then I seemed to pass it on to you. And then you passed it back to me and then I passed it back to you and that seemed to be the, the way that we started 2020. Yes. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? We had room issues on our, one of our last nights in Connecticut. Remember that? Yeah, no, it came back up in my Facebook memories the other day and I got sick all over again looking at those pictures that I took <laughs> of that disgusting hotel room. Oh, God, that was so... Th- it's funny the things you miss and the things you don't miss about travel right. <laughs> over the holidays. I had made, because this was entirely my fault, I had made the the reservation and I hadn't checked a no smoking room. Or I had checked what I thought was no smoking room, but it was actually a smoking room. So when we walked into it... Which we didn't even know was a <laughs> thing anymore. <laughs> like, how on earth can you still get a smoking room? Yeah, apparently you can. 
Well, in that place you can anyway. Oh, so gross. I mean, you haven't smoked for a while. Yeah, it's not that pleasant. No. Did we stay overnight in it? No. We just left, didn't we? Yeah. We're like, fuck this. And it was sad because it was a hotel. This is the problem. And we've run into this problem before where one year we'll stay at a hotel and it'll be quite nice and we like it. And so the next year we're like, well, we stayed there last year and it was really good. But since then, ownership has changed and it's not so good anymore. Right. Ray Weinstein settles in at the Bistro by not sacking everyone and giving away free drink and charity money on New Year's Eve. Ensuring it continues as a loss making venture into a new decade. Gary's gangster ways, or some of them at least, come out into the open when Mrs. Derek turns up and spills her guts to an interested Izzy about the likelihood of Derek owning a knicker factory. Remember Izzy? Me neither. On New Year's Eve, oh, Tracy wants to tra- track Steve to see a band that he can't pronounce but ends up having a more universal conversation with Paula. Boom chicka Shona remains in a coma while David has to struggle with either sitting by her bedside all day or nipping out for an hour or so to testify against Josh. That yeah. came to a head in 2020. Remember that? Remember when they flirted with the idea of Tracy Barlow being bisexual mm-hmm. and then totally forgot about it again? Steve got another haircut and a cat. Tim can't make balloon animals. Mary was an obvious horse. Our moment of the week was David giving testimony against Josh. That was actually very good. Mm-hmm. And boring moment of the week was Kev talking to Sally about darts. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Huzzah! Shall we dive in, Medea? Yes, please. Our first storyline today is our last storyline today. So our second storyline today is Tim's dad, a retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> or Tim's dad, colon, a retrospective. On Monday, the day of Tim's dad's funeral has arrived and at Sally's no one can be arsed. Sally and Faye do their damnedest to gently talk Tim out of going, but he says funerals are for the living and he's going to support Yasmin. The sooner Tim's dad is in the ground, the better. Mm. Meanwhile, Yasmin is desperately cleaning the house. Alia thought she might have changed her mind about Tim's dad's funeral because Alia can't be arsed going either, and neither can Ryan. However, the order of service has misspelt forgotten, so everyone quite enjoyed that. Yes. Now that Sally's dressed in black, she's less subtle about her objection to going to Tim's dad's funeral, calling it a farce. Tim's mum is also there, dressed in black. My cousin David is there in a white shirt, blue jeans and (laughs) brown cowboy boots. Wow, way to throw in a personal family joke there, Gav. Yeah, that's been simmering away for five years. <laughs> that's exactly what Gav's cousin wore to Gav's mum's funeral mm-hmm. five years ago. No one said anything. <laughs> of course they didn't. Everyone thought the same thing. <laughs> Tim is struggling with his tie while Tim's mum hopes that she and Yasmin will get some closure from this. So as they're leaving the house, Ryan is playing Walking on Sunshine. <laughs> that was funny. As, as they're getting ready to get in the car to go to the funeral, Yasmin is still fretting about the typo and she imagines Tim's dad berating her for the mistake. Then along comes the hearse with Tim's dad doing the ultimate trapped in a box trick in the back. Meanwhile, Sally's got a text from Tim telling them that he'll meet up with them later. And Yasmin is affected by seeing the coffin and needs to get water and a minute or two alone and she'll catch up with them as well. So out in their backyards, Tim and Yasmin are avoiding the funeral while everyone else who didn't want to go in the first place ends up going. Right. I thought that was quite brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got to do this. This is all about closure. And this is, I need to be there for Yasmin. And Yasmin's I need to be like, there this for is Tim. my job. My final job mm-hmm. as his wife is to is to bury him and mm-hmm. so everyone has to go along and be part of this and then the two people who are kind of the instigators of all this just fuck off and yeah that was too. great yeah i loved it was that meant to be funny no am i bad for finding it funny no okay yasmin is looking at the spot where tim's dad landed the funeral should have been a full stop for her but she couldn't face it when tim agrees and then they go into yasmin's for a cuppa 
inside, Yasmin explains to Tim how she still sees Tim's dad and hears him like he's in her head and under her skin. She's still haunted by him. The funeral should have put an end to it, but now she doesn't think she'll ever be rid of him. And this all helps Tim understand why he stayed away, because he was worried that he'd cry and he'd never have been able to forgive himself if he had. Oh. And that was quite oofed. Oofed, yes. Because there's the conflicting emotion, isn't it? Right. It's like you hated this guy... But can it's still your dad. Right. You still loved him for the majority of your life. Mm-hmm. Salia gets home and is able to tell that Tim's dad got the send-off that he deserved, which could mean anything. Anything. <laughs> but apparently they played high ho silver, which pleases Tim. And it's dark when Tim comes out of Dev's with a six-pack of stallion. He notices a copy of Tim's dad, order a service on the ground, picks it up, reads it, like he notices a typo, and then scrunches it into a ball. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Is this him? Is this a, a metaphor for him dealing with these feelings? He's just scrunching Scrunching them all up up and then, in a ball. Yep. On Wednesday in the morning, Sally comes down the stairs of Discovery and discovers that there's too many old vintage toys in their original packaging in the house. She suggests to Tim that they keep one for display and put the rest in the attic or something. And he murmurs an agreement as Faye comes down the stairs of Discovery and discovers that she wants to leave the house as quickly as possible for another storyline without speaking to anyone. So that's what she does. Mm-hmm. And Tim's mum comes in and sees all the toys boxed up and seems a little offended that Tim wants to put them in the attic. She pretends that she's okay with whatever he decides to do with them. They're his toys, she keeps on saying. And then she heads into town for shopping or whatever. Yeah, she was going to take Faye shopping, but Faye's already fucked off Mm -hmm. to another storyline. Yep. She was needed on another storyline. This is kind of the start of Tim's mum being a little bit unreasonable, isn't it? I don't think she's... I I don't feel like she's really that offended by him putting them in the attic. You know, I I think she has mixed emotions, but I, I think anyone would have mixed emotions, you know, because there's a lot of emotional baggage attached to these toys. I felt it was a kind of transference of that. She's been holding on to these and she's felt the kind of uh, the emotional weight of them for whatever, 30 years, 40 years. So she just gives it all to Tim and decides that you deal with it, but you deal with it. In the, a way that I find acceptable, which is not putting it in the attic. So what? What is it? Playing, yeah. Playing see, with the I toys? don't. I don't. I don't see that at all. I, I feel like that's a very cynical way of looking at it. I don't think it's deliberate in her part. No, but I think, that, I think this is this is her finally being able to, you know, to give him these gifts that she's held onto all this time, and it's an act of love and an act of tr- of an attempt at reconciliation and you know proof that she did think of him and loved him all these years and it's just you know if you've held on to something this long and then you finally give it away there's still an emotional attachment to them because you've held on to them for so long sure but then from tim's point of view i I, i'm speaking as tim now i didn't doubt that she loved me as my mum. But Tim did. But not the moment he doesn't. Uh, I think he still has some doubts because remember sure. he, you know, how he reacted when his mum stood up for Yasmin in court and he said he made that comment about, well, why, why didn't she stick up for me? Why did she leave me? So I think there is that Tim still is having issues with, you know, with his mum leaving him and stuff so i don't think it's nearly as cut as cut and dry but you know she's like here's a bunch of toys 
know what you meant to do with them. Because the one the the first thing that he's talking about putting them in the Arctic doesn't seem to be acceptable. I don't think no, and see I didn't read her as finding it unacceptable. I think she was taken a little aback because again, she has put so much of herself and has held on to these all these years. I'm sure she didn't have them in her front room just sitting there staring her in the face all this time. Let's hope not. I'm sure she had them all in her attic as well. So I don't I don't think that she's necessarily offended Pain for storage, maybe. By that necessarily. So Tim goes to Dev's. Dev is interested in Tim's Hall of Vintage toys, but pretends not to be until Tim mentions Neutron Man. And then comes Evelyn Knevelin, <laughs> who learns about the toys and offers to take them down to the old folks' jumble sale. Tim's happy just to stick them in the attic until Evelyn insists that toys are for playing with. So Dev is at Tim's checking out some of the toy cars and texting a mate in the know. Sally comes in and thinks that Tim's mum will be crushed to learn that Tim has sold all these old toys to a jumble sale. Tim says he can try to get them back and Dev would recommend it because according to that mate in the know, one of those cars was worth two grand. Mm-hmm. If you'd have thunk that all these old toys in the original packaging would be worth any money. Yeah, I would. Anyone would. Tim. So Tim and Dev go running to Evelyn. She can't remember who she sold the toys to. Dev thinks this is a shakedown, that Evelyn's looking for more money. And Evelyn thinks it might have been Chesney with his greasy hands. And Dev and Tim run off as Evelyn continues to muse, thinking that maybe it was Bernie. They all smell of kebab in that family, says Evelyn. Which, must be, which must be true. When I was getting my flat in Stirling, one of the flats that I was uh, shown before the one, actually it was the one that was shown after the one that I eventually bought, was above a kebab house. Uh-huh. And it's just, everything just smelled of garlic. Everything. Uh-huh. You just... And that didn't really bother me because I like the smell of uh-huh. kebab and I like the smell of garlic. It makes me hungry. I would uh-huh. just, I would have. You would have blown to, up to, to like three hundred pounds. Gargantuan uh, proportions, but um, what worried me was that I'd get used to the smell and I wouldn't realise that I smelled of it, and then I would just be the guy that was walking about smelling a smelling a kebab. Hmm. I'd have become Chesney, in other words. So. Off they go to speak with Chesney, but he hasn't bought anything because he's skint and he was actually hoping to get a raise out of Dev, which Dev knocks in the head immediately. Yeah. Chesney can't help. Dev is a real asshole now that he shaved that beard off. <laughs> I still don't understand Constance? why he shaved that beard off. He looks so good with a beard. He should have kept it. I'm so mad that he shaved. How long has he had it off, so to speak? This is the first week I've noticed that he's had it right. off. I think he still had it when he was playing the drums in the protest, wasn't he? See, I, in my head, yes. So this must, he must looks be a new so thing. good with a beard. Why would he shave it? The trail has gone cold. At home, Sally thinks Tim is going to be fucked once Tim's mum finds out that he's given toys away. Tim has no plans on telling her, but Sally thinks the truth will out, and Tim's a shocking liar. He disagrees, so they role-play a scenario where it seems that they're both pretending to be Tim's mum. Tim is indeed a rotten liar. Sally advises him that he tells Tim's mum the truth. The Neelands in Speeddale reading Age of Innocence that she got in another storyline. <laughs> in comes Tim, surprised to see Tim's mum who's waiting on Yasmin. Evelyn decides to chat to Tim about the toys that she sold for him and how it wasn't Chesney after all, it was Bernie. Evelyn is quite happy with the 30 quid that she got for selling the lot. And upset, Tim's mum leaves, thinking she was stupid to think a few daft presents would make up for all the missing years. Right, yeah, see, she's... Yeah, this is this this was yeah, selling a was gift of love. A... You know, a gift that... You know, um, did Tim make any money off of Evelyn selling the toys, or did he just give them to, for, to her to sell, and then she keeps all the money? 
That doesn't make any sense either. Well, it's for the old folks, wasn't it? So here's stuff that you can sell that's going to make money for the old folks. I think that was how it worked. I don't think so, because that's the same... Yeah, you didn't need things no, to no, you No, because it was the same stalls that... Um, it was the whole stall thing, wasn't it? Jumble sale was mentioned. And I have read out the words jumble sale from my notes. So right. I'm pretty sure it was a jumble sale. But Evelyn also says that she could get a stall at the jumble sale. Uh-huh. But I think it's a charitable thing. I don't think it's a for-profit. Well, the people make... Pro- have, Evelyn no, would no not have done that this with, one way or the other. Evelyn would not have done anything out of the kindness of her heart for old people. She would have kept the money. We have no way of proving. Anyway. On Thursday, Tim catches up with Bernie outside the kebab shop and buys all the toys off of her. For 60, for 60 quid. Yeah. So Tim's home with these toys when Tim's mum comes in. He apologises for getting rid of the, all the stuff and Tim's mum is once again fine with whatever he chooses to Wait. do with them. So Chesney says he has nothing for his kids that he's skinned. What was in those giant boxes then? Were they just empty? Were they just pretending to have toys? We've never found out. No. <laughs> and it's been two weeks now. I don't think we're ever going to find out. Weird. So yeah, so they're his toys, but they're not, he says, they're six-year-old Tim's toys. That said, he's keeping the car no matter how much it's worth, because Tim's mum was the one what gave it to him. Right. And that was what closed off that little storyline this week. That was nice. It was quite funny to see the whole Tim and Dev running about from one character to the other, bringing them into a storyline where they don't belong, having conversations that make you say evil and Knievelin. That was Mm. was all good stuff. And see, this is why you cannot always trust the spoilers that come before certain episodes and certain storylines. Because in the only spoiler that I saw for the storyline, it said that he threw them all out because he was mad at her and then was like digging in the kip for the stupid yellow car. Yeah, Which is not a, what happened. Happen at all. That wouldn't have made sense because they seem to be getting on like a house of fire now. Yeah. Yeah. Is she staying there? I still can't work out if she's staying there or not. No. No. Remember, she gently told Tim that she wasn't going to stay there. So she was then, and then she isn't. Yeah. Sure. But she's still in the show, and we are happy about happy that. Happy about that. Yeah, you can't Two thumbs have, up. You can't have Paula Wilcox in just for, to be a non-recurring character. That's, no. Doesn't make any sense. The next storyline today is Todd the Prick. On Monday at Billy's, Paul is amazed that people cook things in breadcrumbs. Okay, Billy's trying to make dinner from leftovers But eventually says fuck it And takes Paul to speed dial instead Billy's surprised to learn that Todd hasn't parked in the helpline already Because he doesn't see him as being an altruistic sort of character Yeah He's not But still Tamp down there Billy Wouldn't you believe it When Paul and Billy go to speed dial Todd is already there with Ajay The boss from the helpline thing Billy thinks this is typical Todd the prick But at least his volunteering bullshit motive is now revealed so Todd is talking to Aji about his penis when, when talk <laughs> turns to the helpline thing and how it's kind of consuming in 24-7 and how important it is not to get involved with anyone that you're talking to. Mm. And Paul clutches his collar a little bit. Just a wee bit. On Wednesday, Todd just wanders into Billy's flat singing Morning Has Broken. Billy, that, that was awful. And Billy was really being passive-aggressive with that conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and throwing full cups of coffee around to such a degree to the casual viewer who could assume that they weren't actually empty. But that didn't happen in 2021, so I couldn't grab it as an empty cup award. But 
I should have. Yeah. He and Billy chat about AJ, 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 which Billy approves of, if for no other reason it means that two people are now looking out for Paul at the helpline, which doesn't really mm. make sense. Mm-mm. And at work, Paul is on the phone to a frantic Will who wants Paul to go to his house. It's really kicking off with his stepdad. Paul is about to call the cops, but Todd, prick that he is, talks Paul out of it and offers to provide the necessary cover for Paul to go around and sort it out personally. But Paul thinks that the phone is as far as it can go now because he's talked to Billy about it, and so he just goes back to work. Mm-hmm. This does not please Todd. No, of course not. So outside, Paul is loading up the van, and Todd turns up and starts laying it on thick about how impressed he is that Paul can just keep his distance when in reality, Will's life is probably getting totally fucked as they speak. So of course, Paul changes his mind and fucks off in the van. And he comes back sometime later and Kirk is quite keen to get the van and do his deliveries. Paul explains to Todd that there was no sign of life at the house and he even tried to break in, but unsuccessfully. Uh, there's a commotion outside and the guy whose house it was has chased the van back to the factory and called the police. So this is kind of... We've taken the template of that old woman who followed Johnny back to the... Um, back to the Rovers or back to Weatherfield because we can't film anywhere else. Right. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. No, it does compute. Doesn't it? Well, well, it, it doesn't compute, but it does. Yeah. Doesn't it? Well, it, in the grand scheme of things, it, it computes because, as you said, we're very limited. Yeah, we're following templates to avoid having to go outside the right. set. Right. So Paul accuses him of being Will's stepdad and being violent but the guy has no idea who Paul's talking about who's Will your imaginary friend and this leads the guy down an extended if not entirely believable <laughs> riff about Paul seeing the invisible man you must have had a fucked up childhood the guy says and this is enough for Paul to hook him just as the cops show up in the factory along comes PC Tinker Paul is still of the opinion that the guy he punched is a scumbag and needs arresting PC Tinker patronises him to some point and then asks Paul to come down the station not to give a statement but because he's arrested on suspicion of assault and probably attempted breaking and entering Back at the flat, Billy and Summer are playing Mysterium, which is a thing, mm-hmm. and eating can of chocolates, which aren't a thing. Yeah. Billy doesn't know how to play the game. The buzzer goes <laughs> and it's Todd the prick. He has bad news about Paul. It looked like quite an interesting game, though. Because mm. you're all working together. One of you is a ghost, mm-hmm. and everyone else is a medium, mm-hmm. and you've got to figure out who killed the ghost. The ghost. That appears to be it. Billy was having problems understanding that. Yeah, we did. Probably because he's a man of the cloth and doesn't believe in ghosts. We didn't. Well, he believes in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, with Summer dumped at Eileen's, Billy and Todd are at the station. Todd says that he saw the whole thing and Paul was doing the right thing and had something to do with that Will character. Billy's worried about what this will do to Summer. Todd goes to speak with a copper. He says that he'll sort this out. So he goes to speak with PC Tinker and sells Paul up the river. He saw everything and, off the record likes, Paul was a wild animal. It was unprovoked. He thought Paul was going to kill the guy. Now remember, Paul hooked the man once. Right. But I think we find out that the guy's in the hospital from this one punch. Which doesn't make any sense. Todd, prick that he is, goes back to tell the opposite to Billy, who falls for it. And later, PC Tinker confirms that Billy will be spending the night in the cells. Summer is going to be uh, devastated. Billy will not be spending the night in the cells. Later, PC Tinker confirms that Paul will be spending the night in the cells. Summer is going to be devastated, says Billy. And he says this aloud. Yes. Todd promises to come back with Billy to help. Help. Help what? Oh. 
take care of Summer. She's a teenager. She can take care of herself. Summer is relatively concerned that Paul will be spending the night in the cells, but it's cheered up when Todd sends Billy off to Dave's to get some healthy food for tea. Billy smiles at the two of them, remarking that, that they're like two peas in a pod. This is where I'm starting to get angry. A Todd pod, if oh, you will. Yes. And then later, Todd is such a prick that he's actually on the phone to Will congratulating him on his performance while he's in Billy's flat. When Summer comes in looking for another game of that mystery thing. And later, Billy and Todd are on the vino talking about Paul. Todd thinks going to prison will be a breeze for Paul because he's made a stern stuff. Billy's more worried about Summer. <laughs> <laughs> And Todd promises to be there for her. Billy thinks that she's going to need him, and then he goes to get another bottle of wine for the two of them, and they share a little look. Yeah, and it looks like Todd is going to go in for the kill, and then pulls back. Meanwhile, Paul's in his cell with no blanket, and presumably no belt or laces on his shoes, as he curls up and tries to go to sleep. Poor Paul. On Thursday, Todd is doing what all pricks do on New Year's Eve. He's pretending to be asleep on someone else's couch. Billy says that he stayed because he's a lightweight and Summer, who has now forgotten why she was furious with Todd for three whole years, is cool with this and with how obvious it looks to everyone. She worries about Paul though. Todd wakes up and is sure that Paul will be fine. Billy is just saying how much he loves seeing Todd and Summer together. Why would he say this? Mm. When in comes Paul, he's been charged with criminal damage and assault and Todd offers to take Summer out while Paul and Billy talk. And Billy's chopping up onions later when he's surprised by Summer and Todd. They think he's upset and Paul's left him, but Todd is disappointed. Todd pretends to be disappointed by this, but is further upset when he hears that Paul and Billy have promised to spend much more time with each other instead. Yeah. So his little plan of trying to break them up once again so far has, has strengthened their relationship. Once again, it's been foiled. It's funny how this keeps happening. I wonder if it's being foiled because Billy is just constantly worried about what Summer's going to think about something. <laughs> Why would Summer be overly concerned about this? I don't know. Because Billy was an opioid addict addict two years ago. Yeah. Todd left Uh around about three years ago. Right. Billy, uh, Paul has been in prison. Yeah. As a bit of a scally. Right. But Summer is quite attached to Paul now. And they've kind of made this this settled nuclear family. And so he doesn't want to upset her apple cart again. With, you know, things like, you know, him being an opioid addict and and Todd leaving. So now it seems like she's got a nice settled life and he doesn't want to go back to bad stuff. I guess. I don't know. It just, he said that like five times. (laughs) (laughs) So. Do you think Summer heard that conversation with Will? It was loud enough. (laughs) It's definitely loud enough. Hmm. Do you? She kind of came in. I think she was maybe. Was she outside or was she just in another room? I think she was just in the other room. You'd think you'd hear everything in that flat. It ain't, yeah. it ain't the biggest. I kind of feel like summer is the key to the end of Todd's dastardly deeds. I don't know why he's so determined to get back with Billy anyway. Billy's kind of dull. Right. And he's got this <laughs> new guy who's, you know, cute and. Young and not a vicar, <laughs> right? Or a bishop, or an archdeacon, yeah. Geese, or geese, <laughs> the geese disapprove, yeah. It's a it's just he's taking it into his mind that he's going to break this up, right? I don't even know if he wants with, with Billy. I know. Well, he, he kind of he had this look at his eye when they were drinking wine and stuff, 
like he was about ready to pounce on Billy. Like he still does have. I mean, he was describing his penis to another man, not not forty eight hours previously. Mm. I, don't, I I don't care about it, which is strange because I'm kind of angry about it. So you do care. I, I, you just, just don't a, want to care. It annoys me greatly. The the Todd shenanigans. Mm. Just I'm so not a fan of it. Yeah. And I don't think he's given up. I don't think this is the end of it. No. He's not going to be happy until no, he, because, he successfully like, breaks him up. He said, he said to this this Will kid, you know, that we're, we're not out of the woods yet. Even though Paul was in jail already. Right. But I think the, I think the Will aspect of this now ends. I don't think there's any more mileage in the Will part of it. Given that Paul's been to spent a night in the cells thanks to it hmm. I don't see how how Todd can manufacture something else out of this so his part in it the, the two scenes that he's been in in a dark alley I think we've seen the last of Will I'm not so sure we'll see hmm. moving on moving on to let a sleeping Mason lie <laughs> on Monday Imran and Toy are enjoying the company of Mason over Christmas by ensuring that he stays asleep for as long as possible they're enjoying the experience, but it makes Toya worried for Leanne, who hasn't been responding to any of the texts that she's been sending. No. I wonder if she could have, maybe, if she was so concerned, she could maybe go in touch with Stella. But anyway, later, Imran has taken Mason round the red wreck in his pram, while Toya has been loading up the trunk of the car with baby toys. Imran reminds her that Mason will be back with his mum soon, but Toya thinks the stuff will come in handy for other kids that they foster, and Toya steals a kiss from a sleeping Mason while Leanne secretly watches on from her flat, which is adorned with takeaway boxes and empty wine bottles. Yes, she looms in the shadows like a... Miss Haversham. <laughs> keep going to the Miss Haversham reference. Or um, Psycho. Uh, Bates. Norman Bates at the window. Mm. I was thinking the uh, the cardboard cutout that's in the, that's in the back in a window and people think that it's a ghost and it's not. In a movie. What movie was that? That there was a cardboard cutout. And mm. everybody's like, oh, there was a ghost on film. And it turned out to be a cardboard cutout. with somebody ridiculous. Helen's being vague again. <laughs> it was uh, three men and a baby. Yes. Thank you. See, you knew exactly what it was talking about. <laughs> just in the vaguest terms. I was like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. It's like you could just say, what was that movie? cardboard cutout and three men and a baby. You could say, what was that movie? Oh, that was um, uh, Mad Max 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> It was three men and a baby. What was the cardboard cutout of again? It was like I can't remember. I think it was something that was on because it was a soundstage. So it was something else that was on soundstage. (laughs) I think for another movie. Maybe it was Norman Bates. (laughs) That's all I could think of. In the flat, Inman and Toya are discussing getting Mason to work as a chimney sweep. When Toya comes. Toya goes to check on him while Imran gets a call from the social, letting him know that they'll be coming to collect the kid later. And Imran is gutted by this. Then later, Mason is finally asleep. Imran explains that Mason will be getting picked up today. They don't get to decide when a kid moves on, and Toya wanted more time but pretends this is for the best. After Mason goes, Toya in particular is a bit torn in pieces about it, despite the fact that she got some photos for an album that they'll never get round to making and will never be mentioned again. She goes out to clear her head, which, unlike with David last week, doesn't mean having a wank. Ah, that's gets- unfortunate. When she gets back, she's a bit dismissive of her own feelings comparing herself to Leanne's predicament and then busies herself tidying up all those toys that she bought earlier. On Wednesday, Toya has discovered that Mason has forgotten Mabel, which was the... Was it a, 
teddy bear? Yeah, it was a teddy bear. Mason hasn't really forgotten anything, let's be honest about it. She's about she's a bit down about the whole thing, but they're happy to reminisce on a lovely couple of days that in the end Mason will have no memory of ever existing. Toya goes out and Imran gets a call from the social asking if they want another kid to test drive, but Imran, worried about Toya taking too much to heart, thinks it's too soon and puts them off. But Toya is much brighter when she comes back. She's had a word with Sally about another storyline and thinks it's a great idea to keep little mementos like Mabel. And she's keen as fuck to get Foster in again. Imran grabs his collar. Yeah, about that, he says. I've already put them off for a little bit. And he promises to sort this and then heads off to work. So Toya turns up a little bit later at the law office and finds out that Imran has called the social but it was too late. She's furious that he went behind her back and now the social are going to think that they're both fucking nutbags but Imran's phone rings which gives Toya an excuse to leave on her high horse. And she's still in the mood with Imran when he comes home with flowers but he's checked with the social and they still think that they're both great candidates for fostering so none of what's happened on Wednesday's episode is going to affect that going forward. Apparently people get the wobbles all the time at the start. Toya demands better communication in the future if they're going to continue with the fostering. That's as far as we get with that. Stupid Imran. You know, I think he was thinking he was doing the right thing. I think, yeah, I think he was thinking he was doing the right thing. But again, you know, you need to talk to people first to make sure that you're doing the right thing. I don't know. He, as far as he was concerned, Toya was quite upset about either Mason going or Mason going because she just spent so much money on him. But um, she seemed upset either way. Well, yeah, and then of course she's going to be... She goes away and he gets a call, which arguably... Is just going to make the situation worse because I would think it would be better. It'd be like, oh, good, here comes another child that will that will help put Mason out of Toya's mind and have her focus on the fact that this will be happening over and over again. It's it, you you fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. That's that's what you do. You <laughs> fall off the horse, you get back on the horse. I think most men. Is that a way of saying this is exactly what I would have done? Maybe it is. I think men are guilty of trying to second guess what additional information is going to do to the situation. And seeing that his significant other was upset, thought more information is going to make it worse. Or another kid is going to make this worse. Let's just put it off until the dust has settled a little bit. I think he thinks that he was doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But as with everything in soaps, it's all about communication. Right. And the lack thereof. Right. I've made a little bit of a deal about uh, Mason being continually asleep. Mm-hmm. And there was a little to and fro on Twitter between me, someone else, and uh, Georgia Taylor, uh-huh. Toya, where it transpired that that was mostly because of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't remove any of that. <laughs> Because it made me laugh. Right. And it makes sense. <laughs> Again, just like with the, you know, the guy following Paul back to the factory, you know. That's COVID. There are these things that are done because COVID, yeah. you know. And they, I think the the concessions that they have made thus far, they've done quite well. I was amazed at the, I wish I could remember who it was that we were talking with. Thought that it was probably do with covid and that never crossed my mind i just thought i just thought they don't have a baby uh-huh. <laughs> to show so the baby has to be asleep right but it just amused me that they were tiptoeing about the flat trying not to wake it up right 
rather than just behaving normally. Right. That that was what really amused me, the mm. whole thing. I'm easily amused. Uh, the cutout was of Ted Danson in the window. Oh, was it? Yeah. That's kind of boring. Because his, his character on in the movie was an actor and it was a cutout for a dog food commercial that he did. A scene that was cut out of the movie. But then the cutout shows up later on in the movie as well. Huh. But the actual filming of the dog food commercial was cut out of the movie. I've started watching Cheers again. What else is new? I've I'm started quite, watching Cheers again. I'm 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 quite uh, intrigued to watch Ted Danson's new show, the the Mr. Mayor one. That looks like it's going to be quite good. I'm glad I'm glad to see his his Silver Fox continue to to act. The Mary first, Steinberger is a very lucky woman. The first season of um, Cheers, I haven't watched a huge amount of. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it this time round. Coach is just so funny. Yeah, Coach is great. There is an awful lot, though, that... It's, it doesn't... Yeah. 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 It doesn't age well. The, the the second episode has a guy who's wanting to see the um, Gus, a previous owner of Cheers, because Gus was a guy who could solve any problems, and this guy's travelled all the way from Seattle to speak to Gus to solve a problem that his son, his son's fiancé is black. But he's only halfway through the story. And coach thinks, they, well, well, you can talk to me about stuff mm-hmm. and I'll I'll try and help you. Not only is the guy's fiancé black, he's also another guy. Mm-hmm. So that's a joke. That the, the father's son is, da- is gay and is mm-hmm. dating a black man. Mm-hmm. That was episode two. Mm. Yikes. The guy came all the way from Seattle, you say? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Seattle. Does that mean you're going to watch Frasier next? <laughs> it did make me wonder about the crossover <laughs> thing. Frasier's just come into it. Have you seen the uh, meme that's going around now of uh, Hell Frasier? Hell Frasier? Hell Frasier. No. It's like uh, uh, him as uh, the Hellraiser. Oh, really? <laughs> With all the pins in his head and everything. It's quite funny. Yes. Our next storyline today is Shona's Hole. You still haven't watched The Good Place, have you? No. That's quite good. You'd like it. On Monday, Shona Fair enjoyed herself yesterday, but warns David that this is it now. Now that they're back together, there's no backsies or she'll chop his bobby off. Furthermore, she thinks it's time to go back to work, so they agree to go speak with Roy. So at Roy's rolls, Roy adds her to the rota, then bores her and David about his ambition to ride the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow to Vladivostok. That actually does sound pretty good. Yeah, I would, I would like to do that. I like trains. And I'm a bit of a Brusophile. I'm not a communist, though. No. He then gets Shona to wipe down tables and serve David some cake. Then later, David comes in, puts on his face mask, takes two steps, sits down, takes off his face mask, and he's here to walk Shona home. The day went well, except when Shona nearly sparked someone out for complaining about an egg. Roy gets her coat, thanks her for her efforts today, and then tells her to fuck off until next week. <laughs> David stands up and then puts his mask back on. And at home, Shona wants chicken nuggets for dinner with chips and peas and a honeymoon this week, and she wants to get her hole right now. So that's what they do. Yes, finally. Finally, they have sex. Yep. Finally. And they go off into the little annex that isn't upstairs. Right. So... What exactly was David doing upstairs last week? He was upstairs week? in the bathroom having a wank. We all know this. Oh, he's doing it in the bathroom. Yes. Okay. There's a bathroom upstairs, yes? Yes, there's a bathroom so. upstairs. There's something upstairs. 
He's not having a wank in his mother's room. That oh. would be creepy. <laughs> oh. <Deary> me. <laughs> uh, David Platt, the Norman Bates of <laughs> Coronation Street. That feels like it was something that they couldn't fit into last week. So let's just have a, a few scenes of that this week. But that's her back to work now. She's not doing her job very well, but and, hey, and, whatever. And getting her whole. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they're back to being officially married. See, David's uh, reticence to give her her whole up until then was because he thought that she was kind of still... Right. Not mentally incapacitated, but she wasn't herself. Right. Then we find out that she's never going to be herself again. This right. is herself. So right. now it's okay. Yeah. So that's what he did. And a good time was had by all. <laughs> we assume. Our next storyline is Arthur's back. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. On Wednesday, Arthur's back. Yes. Wearing a face mask. He's in Royal Rolls apologising to Roy for the deceit. He has a belated present for Evelyn. And Roy suggests that he wait for it to come in and is more than happy to keep Arthur company in the meantime. When Evelyn arrives at Roy's Rolls, she is not happy to see him. So Arthur gives her the book, offers his ear if she needs to talk for some reason, hmm. and then leaves. And later, and Roy does his bit singing Arthur's praises. Look, it's none of my business, but Arthur obviously cares for you, he says. She doesn't care for him since discovering these lies about his wife, which is just recapping the situation, I think. She also feels like she's been making a fool of herself, looking for love at her age anyway. She's out, and then she leaves. Mm. And that's all that happens in that. Mm -hmm. I actually think that that probably belonged in another storyline. Yeah. But I can't remember which one. (laughs) Probably the one that we're about to talk about next. Mm. So Arthur's back. Does Mm -hmm. that mean his wife's dead? That's that thought did indeed cross my mind. That it's the kind of the logical next he's, step, he's isn't back it? Back because his wife is now deceased. He's a free man. He's jumping and clicking his heels together as he walks down Coronation Street. Although he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, "Oh, by the way, my wife's dead now." Mm-hmm. So we can, you know, you know. It's going to take a little bit more than that to get even what, uh, defrosted. I think. What symbolism do you attach to him giving her the Age of Innocence? By Edith Wharton. I'm not familiar with the book. As a gift. It's is the thrust of the book important to the metaphor? I'm still trying to figure out what the metaphor is and why specifically that book. It doesn't really seem like a book that even would particularly enjoy. I don't think that they have that she's ever mentioned a fondness for Edith Wharton. Neither one of them have been to New York. Is this uh Is this just a random book and we're not supposed to be is this just a a gift for gift's sake and we're not really supposed to attach any meaning to it? Well they they picked the book for a reason. And they do mention it in the Tim's dad storyline. Right. That's where this belongs. It's in the Tim's dad story. Right, yeah. Yeah, where we're, but somebody somebody mentions Somebody says that yeah, Tim's mum says that she really loved that book. But she could have said that about any book. And uh, that's what gets them the two of them talking and gets Evelyn talkative about the toys. I wonder if this is a subliminal Cory book club. Because we've got this this week. Then last week, we had the book that Billy was reading. The one about the um, uh, Syrian refugees. Yeah, the B the bee one. The beekeeper of... Of Alapi. Yeah. Oh, I think Alapi. that's right. Yeah. I think that's actually right. Yeah. Are we trying to do a sofa cinema club with books with here? Books. The, the us as viewers are supposed to read these books and then 
they comment on them. It looked a little thin to be Age of Innocence too. Or maybe I'm thinking of uh, something else by Edith Wharton. <laughs> You're trying to do the vague thing again. That's, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be playing help. So Arthur's back. Hooray. He'll eventually wear her down. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! <laughs> As all men do. Our penultimate storyline today. I'm, I'm, I still have my heart set on Eva Roy. Yeah. It's weird because I I really liked Arthur to begin with. And I had sympathy with him up until his um, his not dead wife thing. Yeah. Now this is more about the movie. Did you ever see the movie The Age of Innocence? With I know nothing about it. Daniel Day-Lewis. Martin Scorsese directed it. I'm under no contractual obligation to watch all movies by Martin Scorsese. This is true. I tried to watch his last one. I like watched like the first hour of this three hour movie. The Irishman. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it just kind of faded off. I've got other things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally my arse is at you and I have to scratch it. So that, yeah, I'm not doing that for three hours. Or scratch my arse for three hours. Considering how many movies I watched this past year, it's shocking that I didn't pick it back up. Considering that I watched a, a lot of movies. Well, we watched a lot of movies. We watched upwards of 85 movies in the first half of the year and then it kind of dropped off for me after that. Yeah. I was kind of <laughs> movied out after a quarantine family movie night. Still watched for three months. quite a few movies with the kids, particularly because Benny's tasting movies did not get better. It's dreadful. Did, did not get better after, you know, being exposed to good movies by us because... <laughs> We're we're kind of we're we're kind of the Ben Price and Jack P. Shepherd. Jack P. Shepherd of this family. And Betty is Colson Smith. Definitely. <laughs> and Stelly is uh Lucy Fallon. <laughs> I guess. That's basically everyone um, against Benny. That's pretty much how it goes. Because thanks to thanks to Benny, I I I watched Holiday and Hubie's Halloween, so I heard of neither of those. <laughs> but no, as I was saying, I was um I was a fan of Arthur and I felt sorry for him and I was mm. disappointed that the relationship ended although I understood why it why it did. But there's something about him coming back that makes me feel... A little icky. A little icky and I think a little less of him now. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. Yeah. Is it because I'm assuming that the wife is now dead so now he thinks that there's a clear run. Right. And on Evelyn, I don't know. And if the wife isn't dead... Then what's changed? Yeah. Why is he trying to get back into her good graces? Is he just trying to... Does he just miss the friendship? Does he not have any other friends? What? Why? Why Evelyn then, and not Roy, which would be a much more innocent friendship to have, and, and somebody who shares some of his common interests. And there's something about delivering the present late. Yeah, yeah. If, if you were that interested in remaining friends or becoming friends again and stuff wouldn't you make sure it was on time mm. and deliver it through the mail or whatever right like, turn it off in person and hand it over is a bit yeah and hand it over late it's a bit strange yeah hmm is he going to be the new baddie <laughs> i can't i can't see arthur being a baddie i just he's got a kind face we, we get a, an inkling of a potential new baddie coming up which interests me greatly hmm. but it's not in this storyline that we're no. about to talk about which is coronation towers Ooh. i forgot this was a thing i thought we dealt with this 
I thought this had already been knocked in the head, but mm. apparently not. Yeah. On Thursday, Coronation Towers is still a thing. Ray Weinstein and Debbie see Gary and Faye talk about another storyline. Gary has been stubborn about the factory and Debbie reckons it's because Ray has been thinking with his cock again. She tells him to get it fixed, the situation that is not his cock. Ray has an idea to deal with the monkey and not the organ grinder. And the monkey is Nick. They call him into the bistro and Debbie flannels him a bit about it being his birthday. Ray thinks that Underworld's rent is keeping Gary afloat. Debbie thinks Gary's a scumbag and it reflects badly on Nick to do business with him. But Nick isn't fooled by this and questions how these two Muppets are any better after what they did to David. Ray offers his premises there that are twice the size for half the rent and gives Nick till the end of the year to make a decision, which is midnight tonight. See, this is the this is the problem with the whole Debbie Ray thing. Is that they don't stop and think. Or at least Ray especially doesn't. They don't stop and think about the family dynamics here. This is why Ray doesn't stop and think that maybe molesting Faye will sour his relationship with Gary before molesting Faye. Right. And, you know, they don't stop and think that, oh, maybe we need to keep, you know, if if we want to sweeten Nick up, maybe we should think about the fact that we sold out his brother and put a sinkhole in his backyard yes we we implemented a sinkhole in the uh in the number eight right that wasn't a great idea i kind of think they're dick dastardly and muttley more and more did we mention that last week i think we mentioned them recently about their plans and in any classic episode of wacky races they would get up to a point where their their plan fails so at the start of the next episode they come up with another plan that's little to do with the previous one, mm-hmm. which will also fail. Right. And that's kind of what it felt like they were doing on, on Thursday. Well, we've tried all this to get things through, so let's try something else. Let's try Nick. So we'll bring in Nick, and then that's not going to work. So we're bringing somebody else later on in the storyline. It just seems they're going from pillar to post. There's no, there's no strategy here. No. There's no long-term And these thinking. are supposed to be... Really smart business people here, right. Debbie who, who, and and Ray. Who it seems have never done business with anyone ever. Okay, they're like um, they're like Dick Dastardly and Muttley, or they're like uh, Natasha and um, oh, what was the wee man's name? Oh, <laughs> and Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, Boris and Natasha. I can help you with that. Boris and Natasha. That's essentially. Yeah. The same thing. Team Rocket. Moose and Squirrel. <laughs> so, Nick runs this idea by Sarah, who's in the middle of another storyline, and then he seems to run it by Sam back at Natasha's flat. Sam advises that a new year should be a time for big decisions and new beginnings. Some fireworks go off, and Sam explains that in ancient China, they used to throw bamboo into fires to explode and ward off demons, and that's what modern fireworks are based on. And bored by Nick's lack of contribution to this conversation, Sam suggests they go watch the stupid fireworks. Does the show forget that Sam is nine years old? Do they? He's a good business <laughs> advisor. He knows the ins and outs of uh, it's so commercial ridiculous. contract law. It's so ridiculous. So Nick presumably leaves Sam to his own devices on New Year's Eve and then goes to see Debbie and Ray. He explains about the Chinese bamboo thing and how he wants his own back on Gary, but more than that, he wants his own back on Ray after what he did to David. He calls them the demons and he needs to protect himself from that and he leaves the bistro, leaving Debbie and Ray to say, what the fuck was that all about? Mm -hmm. 
Then a new year. It's the day of the planning decision and Ray is keen to keep the head of the planning committee happy and away from the locals because this happens on New Year's Day because not everything's shut apparently. Ray wonders if maybe Debbie should offer the guy his hole to keep him sweet. No more setbacks. They need another local businessman on side and Debbie has an idea this time. Roy goes to visit Dev wondering if uh, Dev's written his letter of objection and asks for a copy. Roy is trying to collate everything together to make as best a case as he can, but Dev says that he's already sent it off and he's happy with it, so when Roy offers him a template to fill out, Dev is happy just to go with the letter that he sent, even when Asha offers to do uh, to do it and fill it in for him. Asha knows that Dev didn't write no fucking letter at this point. Mm-hmm. So she threatens him with Frosty the Snowman, accuses him of never supporting the, the protest at all. And it's just business, says Dave. She calls him Judas and storms out the house, letting Ray in. Ray wants to know what Dave has planned for lunch. So at the bistro later, Debbie brings in Tom, the planning guy, for a bit of schmoozing and use of their facilities. Because it did seem that Tom needed a pee, and it was either pee in the bistro or in a porterloo. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Oh, did you mention... In the storyline, the fact that Roy goes to Dev's house. That's literally just what I finished talking about. I'm sorry. My mind is on something else. Dev is there looking cock of the north. Ray pretends that this is a chance meeting that introduced Dev, a successful local businessman, who is only too interested to sing the praises of Roy and his development plans. Tom can't be discussing this, he says. But Dev understands and then continues with his spiel, calling Ray a pioneer. And unknown to any of them, Tyrone has been lowered into this because of plot <laughs> and hears everything. <laughs> so Tyrone texts Kev who's in the rovers with Abby about Dev Roy overhears and confirms that Dev was being a right slick at wee shite earlier yeah. back at the bistro Tom is ready to leave while Dev who's getting pissed on the free vino constantly repeats himself about being in favour of the development then Ray pipes up about regeneration and Dev talks about the property boom it's a win win Timbot4000 says who eats chilli con carne without rice me Exactly. And all Americans. The people who invented chili con carne. Mexicans? Did not invent chili con carne. It's a Tex-Mex dish. What does the Mex stand for in Mex? Yeah, Tex-Mex means that it originated in Texas, which used to belong to Mexico. And it's based upon Mexican food, but it's not actually Mexican. I can no longer see Helen on the other side of the desk because she's sticking herself into such a big hole. (laughs) Tom needs to leave to write up his report. He goes to pay, but Debbie says it's on the house, while Ray offers him a room in any of his hotels for him and his wife. And this angers Tom, who thinks that he's been bribed, and he slaps down the money on the table and leaves in a huff. Meanwhile, Dev is surprised to see that the Rebel Alliance are boycotting Dev's businesses. Dev is now surprised that they could do that to him, but boycotting seems to mean preventing him from entering his own shop. Dev ends up hiding behind a, <laughs> a mailbox. mailbox while... Tyrone and Abby are standing on either side of the door. And Asha is standing in the middle because Asha is now a member of the Rebel Alliance, which is brilliant. So, but are they preventing him from entering his own shop? Is that what it is? I don't know. I really is. don't know what's going on here. Are they keeping people from entering? They could be creating a picket line, certainly. Right. But, but they just him? seem like they're all just standing there. Jenny shows up though and she doesn't approve of this and thinks Rebel Alliance are holding back progress and other small businesses all agree with her. I'm like, oh, Jenny's turned out to be... A bit of a cow here. Mrs. Cow surprise. (laughs) Then along comes Roy who has learned that the development recommendation decision has been made and it's been turned down. 
in your face Crosby says Abby who does another one of her famous karate chops <laughs> she does the committee can still go against the recommendation though we learn but at the bistro Ray is livid as is Debbie who blames Ray's clumsy attempts at bribery Ray yeah. needs to get the committee on side now this is not over so now we need another plan to get the committee on side they should team really? up with Todd <laughs> Maybe that's who they're getting to write their ridiculous <laughs> plots for. Todd, we need to make this development happen. Team Rocket is blasting off again. Let me introduce you to Will. <laughs> a young actor who has played a dog in a play once. They're like um they're like Plankton, just constantly trying to get the the Krabby Patty secret formula. My least favourite character out of SpongeBob by a mile is it's Plankton. Plankton? He's awful. It's just awful. Just if you put as much effort into making his own <laughs> burger as he did trying to steal someone else's, he'd have something successful. Yeah, because he's obviously brilliant because he he built Karen, his his computer wife. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously smart. Why can't he figure out how to cook something edible right. <laughs> on his own? I think it starts with the name of the place. The chum bucket isn't going to attract anybody. No. Change the name. And you'll be more successful planning. Right. We've got 12, 12 seasons of this. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline today. Did I say that about the last one? This is the penultimate one. Is a McDonald's Rex. It's New Year and Steve, Tracy and Amy are back from their holly bobs. He's in uh, preparation for entering a marathon, he says. Amy doesn't think he could run at the chippy, supposing it was closing. <laughs> and he's encouraged to start smaller, like the Three Peaks Challenge, which I'm not sure what that is. So he goes to the pub and talks to Tim about it, who is initially more than happy to join in. I'll do anything for you, brackets, but I won't do that, says Tim. (laughs) Steve has a 12-week training plan uh, drawn up, but Tim is more interested in climbing Ben Nevis in a costume. And now this piques Steve's interest, and he dashes off to get something. And he comes back with some stuff in black bags. Tim has a look inside, and he's not happy to go along with it. So Steve reminds him that he would do anything for him, but he wouldn't do that. Hmm. Do it for Oliver, says Steve. So Tim agrees, and the two of them go off to the gents together. <laughs> While uh, Jenny's behind the bar, she gets a sponge and a, and a bucket of soapy water. <laughs> In preparation for the work that will be required later. <laughs> so next we see the two of them. <clears throat> After a few jars, Steve and Tim have gone for a run in dinosaur costumes. <laughs> New year, new us, says Steve. And they compare notes about Oliver and Tim's dad, and Tim thinks that maybe he should have gone to the funeral after all. But other than that, he doesn't want to talk about it. He says that he'd be lost without Steve. Right back at you, says Steve. Yeah, and they both confess that they are best mates. Mm-hmm. And Tim's weird because he's like, don't tell anyone, but you're my best mate. It's like, why wouldn't you want to tell people this? Right. Are you sad that you maybe offend Kev? You know, what is the, what is the two people that you actually did ask to be your best man? Who doesn't know that the two of them are best mates? Seriously. They're Everyone running around knows. in dinosaur costumes. There's no actual race going on. They're not like in some official thing unless they're doing a, like a virtual 5K. No. Which they're would be called... Steves. They're constantly dressing up. Right. Yeah. Like one of my very most favorite Steve and Tim scenes before this is when they wrapped packing tape around one another and pretended yeah it was packing tape bubble wrap bubble wrap wouldn't stick oh they taped it but they pretended to be tyrannosaurus rexes Mm -hmm. attacking each other with their with their arms taped up yeah to their shoulders and then leanne came in 
Or Tracy came in. Eileen uh, uh, came in, I think. I think it was Eileen. It was a woman anyway. <laughs> to be disapproving of the whole thing. But yeah. it was lovely to get the two, the dynamic duo back together. Because, yeah. uh, you know, as I kind of hinted there with my jab at Kev being best man, they've kind of broken Tim and Steve apart for most of 2020. Which yeah. was the worst thing that happened in 2020. <laughs> That's such a bad year because Steve and Tim, <laughs> we're their, hanging their, out together. Friendship just went awry. <laughs> yeah, they had them involved, obviously, in storylines that didn't feature the other one. Right. And it was nice to, to be reminded of how good the two of them are together. They are. They're brilliant together. And it's um, yeah, it, it's that kind of humour that that I think people are um, missing. That that claim to be missing. That claim that doesn't exist. That there isn't these uh, dynamic. Uh, comedic relationships mm-hmm. but Steve and Tim definitely and even when Dev gets involved in it yeah he's definitely I'm, the, I'm, I'm off of Dev at the moment so I'm quite I'd quite like the idea of an evil Dev he does he's Such a backstabber a pantomime villain you Such can imagine him dressed up as a and he shaved his beard off and that just makes me mad but as far as Steve and Tim are concerned yeah, let's have more of them dressed up as dinosaurs yes please getting drunk and running about yes please and then just vomiting then all over the place running up Ben Nevis <laughs> that's no mean feat eh you can drive up it yeah but I remember when you when you when, you, when you mentioned you know that it's like one of the highest peaks is it the highest peak in the UK yeah you know and everything and then we drove by it and I laughed well <laughs> because what you failed to take into account was that we were already quite high up anyway. So it wasn't like this was just rising out a ground level. Right. We were already like thousands of feet up. Still, I have now taken you to the Rocky Mountains, so you know why I laughed. Yeah, I think it was Wyoming was the highest road that I think I've ever been on. That was 11,000 feet. I'm struggling to breathe. But anyway, our final storyline today is Who Twatted Adam? On Monday, creepy old weirdo Daniel is visiting Adam... <laughs> He was looking like he's getting out today. I think those were the first words that I wrote in my notes this week. Daniel insists that Adam comes to live with him until he's better. Adam announces that DS Whatever will be visiting him later and he intends to tell him that it was Peter what twatted him. And Daniel is uncomfortable with this and makes a pitch for it being Gary, who incidentally is being investigated for a body in the woods. But Adam is adamant it were Peter. Daniel has the nerve to worry about what this will do to the family. I made a joke. You did. That's this week's joke. That's... (laughs) Sure. Back at the Rovers, a sweaty Peter is packing up. Daniel uh, but not ta- like that. takes a while to notice and thinks people will read this as a sign of guilt. Daniel wants Peter to stay and talk this through with Adam, but that's the last thing Peter's going to do. Then in comes Simon, who's received Daniel's text. Simon is much quicker to work out that Peter is about to do a bunk, and Peter thinks this is an em- and Peter thinks this is emotional blackmail or something. And Peter is predictably off to Plymouth to stay with Joe with the glass eye. <laughs> He would take Simon, but Leanne's going to need him. Peter says he has no choice but to leave. Adam goes to see Sarah. He heard that yeah, she'd sat by his bed for hours and the surprise that she didn't smother him when she had the chance. And she insists that she stroked his hair and signed him, and she realises now that she was in the wrong. She tipped the cops off about Gary and Rick the Chin. She knows that they're over, but the idea of losing him permanently was unbearable. It was time to show where her loyalties lied, and she's sure that Gary was the one what twatted them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure whether to take Sarah at face value, because mm-hmm. she seemed to be conniving a little bit. Hmm. You have no opinion. Yeah, no, I'm Great. just thinking about the fact that 
she did the exact same thing for Oliver that she did for Adam. You know, sat by his bedside and stroked his hair and sang to him. She did. So different songs though. Yeah. There was no speed on the boat. Yeah. Creepy Daniel has wandered around Weatherfield, desperate to find someone who gives a shit that Adam is about to finger Peter, so to speak, and he eventually finds Carla and Roy's Rose, who doesn't give a shit either. Daniel <laughs> says Peter is leaving and we need to stop him. We ask Carla, wondering what creepy planet you creepy have Daniel mouse in is, pocket. is on at the moment. He says that she was the one who dropped the bomb in his family. The least that she can do is help them talk it out before the police get involved. When Carla doesn't leap at the opportunity, Daniel leaves. He'll just have to sort this out for himself. Harumph. So there. So Daniel then resorts to shouting abuse at Peter, who's heading to the tram station, accusing him of running away like always. Peter's not up for this and drops his backpack and staggers to the community garden where he vomits up blood. All the while, Daniel inexplicably still nipping his ear about whether he really did twat Adam or not. And at some point, Daniel must realise what's going on, or Peter has to explain it to him, because next we see the creepy wee shit is on the phone chasing up an ambulance. Peter continues to spit out blood. Lovely stuff. Back at number eight, Adam thinks Gary has plenty of opportunities to twat him before that. He's sure it was Peter what did it. Sarah can't see it. Gary, though. Plus, she's sure that he moved Rick the Chin's body the same night. She makes an argument for it, which makes no sense, and Adam is sorry for everything, for letting her down, and all that sort of stuff, and then he heads off to get a word with DC whatever. But on his way, Adam is somewhat surprised when Simon blanks him in the street. The two of them start to bicker, Simon admitting to the vandalism of Adam's office. So that's that bit uh, mm-hmm. officially closed off. Right. And then Carla comes along and drags Simon away. Mm-hmm. Now, she yells. Yes. And Simon, who can be as moody as he likes, yeah. does as he's told when Carla shouts now. Yeah, that was good. Yep. <laughs> that was good. Mm-hmm. Daniel's back at the hospital in a different room now with Peter. The doctor comes along and explains basically that some of Peter's uh, varices have ruptured. They'll take a look down his gullet to check. Oh, and there's probably a liver failure in there as well. And it's a distinct possibility. So they'll keep an eye on that too. And Peter nods while Daniel looks utterly shocked at this information. In Roy's roles, Carla tries to talk to Simon. She knows that he hates her, but not as much as she hates herself. And she wants to help the situation. She's there for him and for Peter. And she's going to miss Peter too if he goes. Simon seems to... uh, Calm down a little bit of this. He does. At the hospital, Daniel's blaming himself for accusing Peter of attacking Adam. Peter couldn't really care less, but insists that Daniel doesn't tell anyone about the hospital thing. He doesn't want the family seeing him like this. At the very least, he wants a couple of days to think over what he's going to tell them. In the meantime, tell no one. In the meantime, says Peter. Tell no one. Tell no one. So Daniel gets home and begs Adam not to tell the police it were Peter and becomes suspicious when Adam says that he's sick of people telling him who didn't try to kill him. Mm-hmm. The doorbell goes, that'll be the police. So Daniel blurts out that Peter's in the hospital and his lover is failing and if Adam grasses Peter up, that'll drive him to drink again and he'll die. So what, I just let him off, says Adam. And for some reason, Daniel gets really arsy about this and tells Adam to do Adam. Fun fact. But not like that. That's not how liver failure works. He, his liver is failing. He could die anyway, even if he never takes another drink the rest of his life. Yeah, I don't think it's like he's got his liver's got a little health bar that's right, diminishing yeah. every time he takes a drink. It's like one more drink and that that little bar is going to go whoop and then into death. Mine was based on Pac-Man. What was yours based on? Uh, Penny Whistle. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So Deus whatever is in the flat and he'd like to do this the old-fashioned way. Let Adam tell a long and involved story about everything that he remembers on the day of the attack. But Adam realises that we're nearly at the end of the episode and so we'd better cut to the chase. 
He knows who attacked him. He thinks it were Gary Windass. Yeah. On Wednesday, Daniel is initially pleased to learn that, Gar- that Adam didn't daub in Peter, but then is outraged to discover that he dropped Gary in the shite. <laughs> what? This was basically his idea. Daniel cannot be happy. Now, Daniel wanted him just to say, I don't know who hit me. It could have been anybody. But he thought it was Gary. Yeah. On Monday. Who knows? Oh, well, says Adam, if he's not guilty of this, he's guilty of plenty else. And he just wants Daniel to shut the fuck up. Sarah comes out of Shut the fuck up, Daniel. and bumps into Gary, who she calls Weatherfield's Most Wanted. They exchange barbs for a bit until Sarah reveals that Adam has come out of hospital, hospital in a very chatty mood and keeps going on about woodland walks and engraved watches and dead loan sharks. And Gary's like, fire, Daniel and Adam go round to see Ken, who is uber pissed that Peter has disappeared off the face of the earth. Daniel tries to downplay it, but Adam, who made no promises of secrecy to anyone, explains that Peter's liver's packed in and he's in hospital. And creepy, hypocritical, annoyance Daniel tries to give Adam a hard time for not being able to bite his tongue. Right. And Adam calls Ken granddad, which al- which always just... Granddad. <laughs> oh, the granddad. Does he say it exactly like that? Pretty much. <laughs> like Every time he calls him granddad, I was Adam like, oh... Adam impersonation granddad. You'd think that would be an easier impersonation for you to do. Do you think there's much money in me being able to impersonate Adam Barlow in Michigan? Is there much money to be made here? No. So Ken goes to the hospital and gives Peter and gets to Peter in time to overhear him talking to his doctor about his irreversible liver damage. He explains to Ken that uh, they all knew this day would come. Ken suddenly has acquired fond memories of Peter and Toya together. Sure. Don't have at the time, and blames Carla, but Peter won't hear of it. This is years of abuse, and he has to accept that he's on his way out. But Ken uh, doesn't think that that's uh, going to be the case. Peter, though, can't be bothered not dying. Didn't really like how Ken throws Carla under the bus now. Yeah. Seriously. Carla is that character in Airplane, the woman who is uh, becoming uh, hysterical, and there's a line of men just queuing and up, women. Queuing, and, well, there is one, yeah. Yeah. Line of people. The, the, remember, the nun hits her. Shots. Yeah. The nun hits her. And I think there's a woman with a, a plank of wood with a nail in it. Yeah, that movie also does not age well. <laughs> that's very funny. But that's who she is. Mm. Adam goes round to the furniture thing to see Gary and wind him up a bit and basically tell Gary that he dropped him right in it with the cops. Gary insists that he's innocent, but Adam wonders if maybe he went looking for Rick the Chin and maybe he found him. And he leaves just as Faye, who heard all of this, arrives. Gary plays it down and tells her to stick the kettle on. There's nothing There's nothing to worry your pretty little head about here. Ugh, I hate that. He didn't really say that. I know, but he kind of insinuated it. At the hospital, Ken must have left because next we see him, he's coming back from somewhere. And Peter says hello. Ken has something to tell Peter, and he goes into detail about New Year's Eve 1990 when he lost everything thanks to his affair with Wendy Crozier and he wanted to kill himself. He was three pills in when Bette Gilroy came in and stopped him. Ken's never told anyone that story. He was low, but he didn't give up. And then he thinks about what he would have missed if he had given up. He'd have missed Daniel. But there are some things that, <laughs> there are some good things that he would have missed too, like making up with Deirdre and meeting Simon and Amy. So don't you give up, Peter. Things will get better until they ultimately and very definitely take a very drastic turn for the worst. Mm. On Thursday. And again, this isn't how liver failure works. You don't you don't just stop dying of liver failure because your your dad tells you a story about suicide and tells you to be more positive in your life. No, I think that was a if you if you give up, 
<laughs> You're dead. Your basically. body doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, well, people say that about, about cancer as well. That you know, if you have a positive attitude, that you have a better chance of beating it. Which I'm not sure that's true either. But. Your body doesn't care. Your liver is going to fail one way or the other. There are things you can do to help, but being positive and not accepting that you're dying isn't one of them. Helen's message here, folks, is give up. <laughs> on Thursday, <laughs> Faye and Gary are on their way to Roy's Rolls comparing their single statuses. Gary tries to play off Maria's belief that he twatted Adam based on what Adam told Diaz, whatever. Faye thinks Adam needs silenced again, but Gary is, or pretends to be, blasé about it because he's innocent. Then Kelly the Chin is talking with Diaz, whatever, in Roy's Rolls. Because that's where you meet up with the police. Diaz whatever gives her the Christmas card back It's cleaner prints which makes me suspect That John Doe from Seven Who sliced off his own fingerprints was involved somehow <laughs> Kelly the Chin seems to be ahead of the cops here And tells Diaz whatever that there's no way her dad would send that card It's not even signed It's not even made out to her and I've paused it There is nothing written on the card There's just three, three kisses, that's it There's no to Kelly From Rick the Chin that's, right. that's not written on it The only person in touch with Rick the Chin Says Kelly is Gary Flaming Windass. Diaz, whatever, sucks a thoughtful tooth at this. Hmm. So up at the hospital, Detective Daniel is visiting Peter, but there's a slight problem. There is no Peter. A friendly nurse explains gently that Peter has just discharged himself, and regardless of what Daniel thinks about this, they aren't able to keep people against their will. Back in Roy's roles, Kelly and Diaz, whatever, have been replaced by Faye and Craig. Craig is trying to give Faye some chat, but she's having none of it and wants Craig and his guys' PC tinker to discard any information that Adam's been feeding them about Gary. Craig explains that they can't just ignore Adam's statement and they're not about to arrest anyone until there's evidence. Faye takes this to mean that they're definitely about to arrest Gary and she storms <laughs> off. Sarah is visiting uh. Adam. <laughs> you don't have to say anything, Craig. I can see it in your face. Really? <laughs> Sarah is visiting Adam. They have some small talk about New Year's Eve and ready meals for one. Then Faye just bursts in, telling Adam to change his statement and not blame Gary because he's totally innocent. I'm going to burst into your house and shout at you. But Sarah actually says, how did you get in? <laughs> and she says, oh, the door was open. So you Stop. just burst in because the door's open? <laughs> Sarah tells Faye to fuck off. What's this to do with you, says Faye without a hint of irony. Faye points out that Craig thinks Gary is about to be arrested and Sarah thinks Craig should be keeping his mouth shut and once more she tells Faye to fuck off. And this time Faye does indeed fuck off. I'm glad that somebody has finally said Craig should maybe just keep his fucking mouth shut. But she was the one, Sarah was the one last week who was plying him for information. Right, yeah. So Everybody she, keeps plying him for information, the poor guy. And he keeps giving it. <laughs> Now Peter's back at number one and Daniel has a hissy fit at him. He's been frantic with worry and now Bertie's picked up on it and is refusing to sleep. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe give him a, a running toilet then. He's picked up on the fact that Peter's a dick. <laughs> and so he's refusing to sleep. It's a smart kid. <laughs> Peter, bas Peter basically calls Daniel his mum and tells him to chill out. Daniel asks Peter to stay and tells him that Ken's gone out to get a curry. They should just... They should just put Bertie and Sam together and they could just go around and solve crimes on the street. I tell you, they'll get this development through the two of them. <laughs> Ken's going out to get a curry. It's the new boss, baby. Papa Doms, asks Peter. <laughs> Daniel says yes. So Peter does a reverse two-second smile fade. 
Right. Because he loves the pompadoms. And uh, mango chutney. Ooh. But not like that. <laughs> what? With Faye out of the way, Sarah's had a shower and slapped on some lippy. They talk about starting a clean slate in 2021 and missing each other. Sarah can't wait for 2021 and wants to start now. And Adam has a look on his face that says, despite everything, despite proposing to Sarah last year, despite getting married this year, despite breaking up with Sarah a few weeks later, despite Sarah catching him in the law office getting his hole off of Naomi or whoever, <coughs> despite Adam getting his hole off of Carla, and despite getting twatted over the head by someone who at this point may or may not have actually been Sarah, somehow, some way, Adam's getting his hole tonight. Right, because let's remember, the whole reason why they broke up is because Sarah refused to turn Gary in. Right. She's turned Gary in now. Right. So all is forgiven. Yep. Hole can be had. <laughs> then Kelly, the chin, runs into Gary and Faye, and she gets laid into Gary. Faye insists that Gary had nothing to do with Adam getting twatted, not realising that Kelly, the chin, couldn't give a fuck about Adam, she cares about Rick, the chin. Right. <laughs> then along comes Maria, who wants Gary, who warns Gary and Faye off. And they go to the community garden where Faye knows that Gary didn't do anything and Maria appears again and gets stuck into Gary but Faye has heard enough and as the fireworks go off for New Year a sobbing Faye reveals the truth. It were her what twatted Adam in the bistro thinking it were Ray. Ha ha! We were right. That's... We were right. Remember that one time we were right? Yeah. Remember last week when, when you asked me I said... I'm not sure, but I think it's a case of, of mistaken identity. I think it's somebody who was after Ray, not Adam. Two weeks ago, there was that uh, scene where Tim and Sally were talking about the attack and the camera very purposefully cut to Faye, Faye on the couch looking contrite and, and concerned. And nervous, yeah. And then it kind of continued. There, there was no reason to show Faye at that point, so that had to have something to do with it. Right. I, put, I put it on the Twitter. Right. It um, was an unpopular opinion. I think it was a problem unpopular opinion at the time. And then I think last week I was kind of unsure about it because that hadn't been built on. There was no, right. that I could remember. There was nothing that was, that was there to reinforce that. Right. Thought, well, maybe, maybe maybe it isn't. But she was still she was still a suspect. But as this week went on, it became more and more evident that yeah. you know, she was sure that Gary didn't do it. Nobody says, well, how are you sure? No. Well, this is how she was sure because... She did. she did it. So this splits into two for New Year's Day. Let's talk about Peter and Carla part first and then we'll talk about the Adam Twatten. Sure. Next we have a scene where Carla approaches Peter in the street accusing him of abandoning Simon. Peter, while waving about an empty cup, snarkily tells her about his liver woes and how he was in the hospital and he probably won't see another Christmas. But how was your Christmas, Carla? You know what my favourite empty cup of the week was? What? It was actually Gary sitting at his desk. He had like a white ceramic cup and just even the way he picked it up like kind of backhandedly was that on friday and flipped it it's when he was you know when they showed that he was obviously sleeping in the furniture shop right before he goes to try to make up with maria well that would have been friday then yeah i didn't notice he just kind of (laughs) this is going to work on a podcast as you demonstrate how he picked up a cup picks it picks it up kind of like this well, if I can find it, I'll, I'll definitely, definitely create it. It was one. like, that is the most obviously empty cup. Because I'm not limited to one of these per week. Because <laughs> what I'm going to do is collate all of January's and then we'll put it up to a vote. And yeah. Then each monthly one, I will go forward to a, <laughs> to a gala event at the end of the year. <laughs> so back at the Rovers, Peter insists that he's fine. Uh, he's on more meds than the Happy Mondays. Carla offers to make him lunch, but Peter reminds her while she stands next to a photo of Aidan and Kate that she doesn't live there anymore. 
She's upset that he didn't tell her about how serious the situation was, but he says they're not a thing, and thanks to her, go over yourself and leave. She ignores him and goes to make him a sandwich. And it's calmed down at the Rovers later, but Peter is heading to Scotland now. Portsmouth and the bloke with the one eye are out of the picture, apparently. He needs to get away, which <sighs> makes me wonder why he's so keen to get Carla out of the Rovers. Right. And, and he doesn't want to let Carla uh, look after him. He's brought all of this on himself, he says, finally. He forgives her. In fact, he absolves her. He's letting her go. She wants to help him get better, but he doesn't think that uh, there's any guarantee that that's going to happen. He may, need, he may need a transplant. He says he's a selfish guy, but not selfish enough to put her through that. It's too late for them. Right. And you can't live here in your father's house. <laughs> Even if I'm not here. You can't live here. That's done. In your father's house. I want you to make a promise, a guarantee, <laughs> fill out a contract right now that says that you're never going to live in the pub. I actually like shouted a couple of times, this isn't your house. Right. You can't, you can't tell anybody whether or not they can live here. I feel this, Johnny. Timbot4000 says who eats chili con carne without rice. Because <laughs> that's when I should have hit that. Uh, Johnny's still in prison, isn't he? And he's not been sent awaiting, to prison yet. Uh, I thought he was awaiting trial nope. in jail. Nope. He's out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Carla does what Carla does in moments like this and she goes to see Roy. She's blaming herself, but Roy points out that Peter started drinking again after he got mugged that time. Carla says that according to meetings, you get drunk at someone. It's an anger thing. And she was angry at him and wanted to hurt him. And she succeeded. Roy sticks to his guns, though. Carla didn't make Peter start drinking any more than she could make him stop. Right. She still thinks that it's down to her. Right. That was a great scene. Yeah. And I mean, just because somebody is drinking at you because they're angry at you doesn't mean that they wouldn't have found something else or someone else to be angry at. Oh, absolutely. To blame. Yeah. You're always looking for an excuse. So the Gary thing then. Gary's listening to I Fought the Law and the Furniture thing when maybe one thing happens with an empty cup. Yes. He opens up for the day and sees Sarah leave Adam's flat all lovey-dovey, see? Mm -hmm. And the flat, Faye's explained to Gary and Maria what happened. She went to the bistro that night to prove to Ray that she wasn't scared of him and had had some of Tim's whiskey to calm her nerves. She was going to tell Ray to shove his job up his arse. Right, right. up, up his, his arse. arse. She'd heard all the rumours about Ray and it was dark when she got there and thought that he had his back to her at the bar. She grabbed the nearest thing she could and twatted him with it. She didn't know it was Adam until the next morning. Maria wishes that she'd gone to the police about Ray, then this wouldn't have happened. But Faye couldn't report Ray. There's more to this story, you see. She couldn't go to the police because she'd already slept with Ray. And she explains Poor about Faye. She explains about the night in the hotel, Ray opening the door in his dressing gown. That means that he opened the door of his room, not he had a door in his dressing gown, which no. opened. And he was going to have a bath, plying her with wine. And Maria kind of pinches the bridge of her nose here because she's heard this kind of story before. Mm -hmm. Faye says that she didn't say no, but she didn't think that she could say no. She doesn't explain that Ray threatened to fire her, which I think is a Yeah, I thought that was really, really out. odd that she doesn't mention the fact that she tried to say no. And he said, if you don't sleep with me, you'll lose your job. And it's, it's, it, it, that's a really important detail that yeah. she doesn't she doesn't speak of. And she acts like she she kind of acts like she kind of blacked out. And she doesn't remember saying yes, that it just kind of happened. Well, I don't know if she ever said yes, but she says that she didn't say no. And she just let it happen. She doesn't. She doesn't seem to understand that that's that's still not informed consent. No. Not that, saying no is not informed consent. It's bothering me that she's calling this sleeping with him. Right. Yeah. This wasn't a with. No. Thing. No, not at all. And and yet. Uh, poor Faye. She just thought that this was par for the course for working in hotels. 
Gary wants to fucking kill that Ray. Despite what Maria and Gary say, Faye is sure that she encouraged him, which is why she can't go to the police to complain about it. Which, again, you know, she tried to say no and he threatened to fire her if she didn't. How is that encouraging? Faye is sorry for everything, particularly the fact that Gary now is prime suspect. Gary and Maria bicker, which makes Faye feel worse, blaming herself for them splitting up. Gary insists that that wasn't the case. Plus, the cops have got nothing on them other than Adam and Sarah's accusations. So Faye goes off to get changed. She's going to go hand herself in at the cop shop. But Gary won't stand for it, and he scares her with stories about her going to prison because she's 18 now. And Maria is team Gary here. Gary's sorry for not taking her to the police and not, not talking her into it and not being a better brother to her. And he's not going to let her down again. He says the weapon is the only thing that can tie them to it. And so where is it? And what is it? And she says it was a hospitality award or something, and it's it's not in the canal as Gary would want. It's under her bed. So Gary kind of starts to not think clearly about the best thing to do here and goes off to get it. So next we see Gary coming down the stairs of Discovery with the award wrapped up in face uh, PJs or whatever, telling Tim that she's staying at his flat for a bit, and Tim gives him use of a rucksack. So Gary gets out of Tim's with a rucksack and he makes for his van, but yeah, it won't start. Tim's so he, not happy about this. Right. Uh, the van won't start, so he decides to leg it. And Craig, who because saw... Because plot. Craig, who saw... Gary leave Tim's and heard him on the phone saying, yeah, I've got it. Steps out from around the corner and wants a word with him, given that he's looking all in a hurry in that. Gary tells him he bolt, but Craig, who isn't in PC tinker mode, wants Mm-mm. to know what's in the bag. Gary tells him to what's fuck in off. The bag? But off-duty Craig thinks that he has a right to search Gary because he thinks that he's carrying stolen goods. Which is not how policing works. It is how policing works. That's the- that, is, that is a thing. He's not in uniform. Doesn't matter. Not working. Doesn't that, matter. That, that could... That would mean that no matter who you are or where you are, a police officer could just say, walk up to you and say, I have reason to believe you're carrying stolen goods and search you at any time. And that is absolutely the case. That's frightening. It's absolutely the case. What he should have done and didn't do is show his ID. Yeah. So my meme of it's been zero days since Uh Craig... Uh, Didn't follow police protocol. Uh-huh. Still, That's still valid. Still stands. But for different reasons. Because I thought yeah. there's no way in the world an off-duty policeman can do that. Yeah, they can. Can they do that in the US as well? I don't know. I didn't look that up. I don't think they can do that in the US. You know, and, and unless they're like working and in the middle of a... You can't just randomly walk up to a person and say, I suspect you have stolen goods just because you saw them walk out of another place. Yeah, I saw some forums where they were saying that police tend not to do that no and they wouldn't be doing it on their own patch but no uh, you are <coughs> you're a policeman 24 7 basically whether you're on duty or not yeah he should have more evidence than seeing him walk out of a building though that's not reason to suspect stolen goods that, because saying to someone on the phone yeah i've got it right yeah because he's walked out of tim's house tim hasn't run after him saying you stole something so obviously the people in the house are okay with him taking this rucksack. Oh, all of this is absolutely uh, horseshit. But right. The, but can Craig do this? Yes, he can. And he can say it's reasonable because what's reasonable? That is fucking frightening. Uh, open the bag, Gary, or a call for backup, he says. So what's Gary does, and Craig, who what's isn't working the, the Adam Twanton case, knows that the stuff from the bistro is in there, so arrests Gary while Maria and Faye and Sarah and Adam all look on. And they all ignore the fact that it's... It, the rucksack also contains Gwyneth Paltrow's head. <laughs> Back at the... John Doe has the upper hand. So many seven references in this podcast. <laughs> it's the talk of the seven street. Or something better. 
Seven. Who lives in Cor- Seven Coronation Street? Oh, that's something we're hinting corner. <laughs> death. Back at the flat, Faye is upset that Gary has been caught with a weapon and is going to get done for this, but Maria tells her to chill. Gary can handle it. At the station, DS Whatever explains that the hospitality award is from the bistro and it's with forensics now, but Gary maintains his silence except to say no comment. At number eight, Sarah is thrilled. Gary's going to jail, she dances. He's going directly to jail. He won't be passing go. He won't be collecting £200. Adam is still convinced it's Peter and won't be surprised if Gary gets out. Then sometime later, DS Whatever is pleased to announce that the forensics have uh, come back positive with Adam's blood. Gary keeps Stoom and he's charged officially with Adam's twatting. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Doesn't mention fingerprints though. Doesn't mention fingerprints. Does this fancy forensic team not check fingerprints unless it's a Christmas card? <laughs> fingerprints because... are apparently a really dodgy way of proving anyone was anywhere. Right, but... We know Gary's, there's no way Gary's fingerprints are on that award. One would hope not. He picked them up, I think. He, with he picked pajamas. it up with those pajamas. So Gary has never touched this thing. So if there are no fingerprints on it of Gary's, they can't really say that it's, that Gary did it. You know, and they could, if Faye's fingerprints are on it, she could kind of say, oh, well, I was dusting. Right, because that's a place. That's her place of employment. Mm-hmm. But dusting would remove fingerprints. You would think. So she she picked it up to move it to dust the shelf that it was on. She didn't dust. Oh, what, what tangled web we weave. Mm. But they there's no way they could say, "Oh, you definitely did it," even though your fingerprints aren't on the thing. It, it's probably enough to get him charged. Right. Or is he arrested? He's arrested. Is he charged or arrested? He's arrested. He was suspicion. already arrested. No, he was Craig brought in. Them. Yeah, some they must be charging him he now. Must be charged. Yeah, but DS whatever didn't say charged. I but was charged. I was too distracted by his sweater. <laughs> DS whatever. Yes. I can't say I noticed it. Did that have someone pretending to drink coffee out of a cup on it? It was grey and it had black and white diamonds on it. Oh, that's a bad thing to have on TV, isn't it? Doesn't that get all the resolution fucked up on that? <laughs> The cathode ray, which nobody has anymore. Right, I was going to say, what 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 decade are you watching this? <laughs> so this Gary's trying to be the good guy then, protecting his uh, sister. sister. So we're supposed to ignore all the terrible things that Gary's done. It's good that Gary's got arrested, right? Well, again, for the wrong this reasons. is again we were supposed to feel sympathy for Gary because you know he was trying to protect Sarah and save Sarah's life. We're supposed to ignore the fact that he killed. Right. Rick the chin. He's meant to be the villain, remember. <laughs> I think Faye being a super villain would be super interesting. That's not happening. That's not going to happen, no. but it'd be great if it did. An 18 year old female super villain. <laughs> I, I, I want to see that. You know who would make a good super villain? Sam? Birdie. <laughs> Sam and Birdie. They could team up and, and be super villains. There's a league. <laughs> Sam's in charge because he's old. Obviously. Again, Boss Baby Three, it just writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conscious that you have places to go, so shall we? Um, shall we jump to moment of the week? Maybe a little sooner than normal. Yeah. Uh, gosh. I think it's down to two things. <clears throat> Which are? I was really moved by Faye's uh, explanation of what happened in the hotel room. I felt that that was really um, superbly done, and I was also uh, really enjoyed drawing Carla. In the cafe, as uh, Roy explains it, you didn't make him start drinking any more than you can make him stop. I thought that was a great line. Really? Yeah. It's not 
Tim and Steve in dinosaur costumes confessing their vagueness to one another. Surprisingly. Because it's kind of my moment of the week. <laughs> because it's it's something that I've missed so much this year, you know, the the bromance between I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, Tim and Steve. I'm not snagging that picture, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're my best bait. Or um or Tim getting the toys back, making up with his mum. You kind of feel like we've given it to Tim an awful lot lately. I do. And Tim's mum. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like we've ever given it to Faye. I didn't like that scene, though. The Gary and Maria's reaction to what she was saying was pretty strong as well. Uh, I'm loath to give anything to Gary. Well, I'm, I'm not giving it to Faye. Mm. I, I, I just... I. That was not my moment of the week. And I don't really feel like the Carla and Roy stuff was moment of the week because, well, it was nice. And we always like to see Carla and Roy together. It it was not the most dramatic or interesting scene of that whole storyline. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I've already said what I think. Yeah. And then you've given me terrible uh, alternatives. Oi! Well, fucking people in dinosaur costumes is a moment of the week. You're my best mate. You're my best mate too. If you ever need to talk. Well, if you ever need to talk. We're both in dinosaur costumes because all of our love dinosaurs. Oh, do you know what I thought was really good? Uh, um, We've given it to her as well quite a bit. But I thought that uh, showing the ethereal... Tim's dad was nowhere near as effective as Yasmin explaining how Tim's dad is kind of constantly under her skin and she can't get rid of him. I thought that was really powerful. That was really powerful. I thought it was more powerful than than what they did visually showing it. I thought having Yasmin explain it was was really quite effective. And and Tim's response that, you know, he didn't want to go to the funeral because he was afraid to cry. Yeah. Yeah, that was really powerful. Yeah, that's our moment of the week. So we're giving it to Tim anyway. We're giving it to Tim and Yasmin. Fair enough. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. <sighs> I can't remember what Daniel did that Daniel was boring. Did <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I've, I've, I kind of, I kind of felt some of the Mason stuff was really kind of boring and. You know, it was a bit filler. Them ridiculously buying lots and lots of presents for this child that they were only meant to have for 24 hours. (sighs) Daniel, um, (laughs) Daniel explaining to to Peter that him being upset at Peter is keeping when I didn't say it because it was so boring, but when uh, Peter said, I'm on more meds than the Happy Mondays. Daniel pointed out that the band name doesn't contain the definite article. It's not the Happy Mondays. It's just Happy Mondays. That is your boring moment of the week. Yeah, that's that's the boring moment of the week. Yeah, that's definitely boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. See, you know it's Daniel. You just have to, you just have to dig a little bit to figure out exactly which. Part I of feel, it. I feel, I do feel bad that it's it's Daniel so often. I was going through. It's not. It's not his fault. I was going through the notes and then I'm just like, oh, "There's another dig. There's another dig. I'm having another dig at Daniel here." 
oh well I'm going to make a concerted effort mm. in 2021 to lay off you, a little bit you know, well what uh, another contender for moment of the week would have been would be Nick Nick's bamboo speech to just so Ray confusing. and Debbie <laughs> so confusing wearing his my dad is out of this world t-shirt my dad is a twat <laughs> t-shirt don't you like your t-shirt he loves it granddad <laughs> Shall we wrap this one up then? You don't often see Ben Price in a t-shirt on the show. It was a long sleeve t-shirt. Yeah, it was a long sleeve t-shirt. You don't I'd often call see that like sweater. that. Wasn't that a sweater? No, it was a long sleeve t-shirt. Because um, you can't print something on a sweater. Yeah, you can. You have to knit it in. You can't put like, because that's oh, that was obviously like a vinyl print. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. He's so often like in a suit or like a, a polo shirt or something. He, he looks quite nice in a long sleeve t-shirt. Anyway. Yeah, let's let's wrap this one up. The yes, first please. one of twenty twenty one. This is year number four. We started doing this what? in twenty eighteen. So twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, twenty twenty one. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, we're not even at our third anniversary yet, but this is the, the fourth year we've been doing this. Yeah, no. It's weird. It's kinda cool. Yeah. So who knows we will be next week for doing this. Uh I guess we'll we'll try and do it. It's somehow, some yeah. way, depending I'll be, on the circumstances. I'll be, on, and I'll be in a condo on the beach. At, <laughs> Yeah, right. I won't be enjoying if, the beach. If, if that was the case, then you'd probably manufacture some way to come on with you. But yeah, th- there may be more important things happening right. for us next week than yeah. what's happening in, in Coronation Street. But this is a distraction, and at some point, you just need distractions. Yes, so. and and we do have the technology to do for one of us to be remote because right. we use that sort of technology in poetry in the bar all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. We'll put something out at some point. So, if you want to get in touch with us, we're the talkthestreet at gmail.com, which is also addressed on Skype for voicemail and PayPal. If you want to chuck a couple of bucks into a virtual tip jar, we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on our other stuff page of thetalkthestreet.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back, hopefully, next week with more. Talk on the Street. Talk on the Street. Bye. Cheerio.